Hawks computer. All right, welcome in to the Hawks Nest of Peak Performers, the podcast where I gather together high performers in various fields and have conversations that seek to empower people to pursue their passions. So I am Ryan, the Rye Bread Hawks, and today I have a uh, fellow Ryan with me, Ryan Tigan. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Nice. Yeah, it's fitting that we uh, fellow Ryan is here for the for the first podcast. So that's awesome. But uh, tell tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm obviously we're in the same program at yeah. National University for uh, sports psychology and the master's program. I grew up in North Dakota. Originally played pretty much every sport under the sun every season, um, and then I got into running. And I've been a runner for probably 12 years now. I ran track and cross country in both high school and college. And I got into it a little bit more um, just in my collegiate career and just really learning what it meant to be an athlete, even if we're just running 10, 15 miles a day. Um, that's still a little bit of a mind game, which got me into sports psychology a little bit more. So that's kind of what took me down the path of how I got here basically nice yeah that's awesome so you when you started running was that something you did early on or did you play other sports before you got you got to running and stuff like that I bounced back and forth between both sides of the force is what I like to call <laughs> people I played second grade was when I officially drank cross country okay. but I was also playing football so I would go to both practices probably three times a week. And then eighth grade, I was in football. Decided that was kind of the end. I was kind of, I had the closure that I needed. And then it didn't look back from there. Right. And did you, did you feel like an athlete even when you were playing football? Or was it kind of more as a cross-country runner? Um, it was definitely different energy systems. Um, yeah. that's for sure. I felt like I was more, one of the more athletic ones when it came right. to playing football. Um, just, I was a little bit taller, um, being five, eight, five, seven in eighth grade and, um, still being able to run a half mile, you know, doing all this summer conditioning, thinking I was going to run cross country went into football instead and had all these miles under my legs, which none of the other guys had. Um, so that definitely gave me a leg up, but I was nowhere near in the shape that I needed to be um, or that I would have been if I would have continued running. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What did you play in football? What position? <laughs> all over, all, all over, over. Um, nice. mostly defensive end and a little bit of, uh, defensive tackle and linebacker all right so so in football and i'm, I'm asking this because i'm interested in myself and i'll tell you why in a minute but but did you still have like a runner's build even when you played you know, you're playing like defensive end and stuff and defensive tackle yeah i mean it was eighth grade i haven't really grown much since then i, I was a early grower uh yeah so pretty much had the same build for the last 10 years and you know you kind of have that five seven five eight height with leanness of running 
you know, 150, 200 miles in three months. It's, you're going to have runners build out there. <laughs> yeah. In eighth grade, you have all types of builds. Yeah, that's true. Cause you know, I was uh, a lot, a lot of similar. Yeah. I was, I was the second tallest eighth grader at five, five ten or something, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm going to be like six, three or something. And that was it. I didn't grow anymore. I just stayed that height. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, I, I didn't start really playing um, like tackle football. I didn't join until my high school JV team. And I, and I really wanted to be a defensive end, but they weren't having it. Like you're too small, man. I weighed 140 pounds though. At the time I was, I was a, a runner, but not like professionally like that. I've, I've always done like, uh, liked distance running, but, um, yeah, they wouldn't let me do it, man. They threw me at corner. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was never fast enough for that. Yeah, I had, I, I was, I could do, uh, um, I could had a good sprint, but I also had real good endurance. I, I, I don't know why I didn't join cross country. I probably should have. Um, but that's why I stuck to flag football because they'd let me be defensive end in flag football, and and I would just like blast around these bigger offensive linemen. <laughs> it was fun. Sure yeah um so now we're at do you how much running do you still do um currently i'm so during the pandemic i at the initial start of the pandemic i was kind of closing out the end of my college career um i didn't have any all right didn't have any indoor eligibility so i was kind of done for a couple months and then i started kind of digging back into it at Mm -hmm. the once pandemic 2020 started kicking along a little bit more got injured so i kind of went through another cycle of not running um but i'm back up um the goal is to run a half marathon in october right um so i'm just kind of in the first few weeks of this 12-week program that i just wrote up um at least get me in shape to make it across those 13 miles in a decently good time but nice yeah, I might have to hit you up later for that. It's always been one of my goals to run a, a marathon. So a, a half marathon would probably be what I was thinking of starting at and really get serious about it. Uh, I might have to get some uh, training tips from you on that <laughs> later on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nice. Sure. And uh, so how much of your identity is tied to to being being running cross country and and all that good stuff? That's a great question. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because yeah. during the course of probably from 15 to maybe 18 or 19, right? that was probably about 75% of my identity, which is still a good chunk. Yeah. Right? Like when you're in high school, you're an athlete, you hang out with your, you know, you hang out with your team, maybe other couple of buddies that you've known with the grade school for quite a long time. Um, you have maybe another couple of clubs that you did. I was in orchestra, so I was in there. I um, had other, I had, another, I think, another one or two clubs. I was in Boy Scouts um, that I was a part of, but running was always kind of the thing, the backbone. And it wasn't until college that, you know, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that structure went away and right. running kind of takes over at that point. You're going to school, you're going to running, 
you might have a couple of friends on the side or a girlfriend or things like that, but that's it. Yeah. As a college athlete. And for a lot of athletes that can be a bit lonely Mm -hmm. until you realize what the actual problem is. And the problem is you're too attached to whatever sport you're doing. Um, so that's something that I've taken consideration to my own identity over the last probably, I would say two years mm-hmm. where I've really tried to find that balance again between running and doing all these other things. Um, so it's not just so consumed by it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure you've probably, as we've gone through some of the coursework together <laughs> in school, seen that there is all often this this big conundrum that happens in the athlete's identity, you know, once they're, they're starting to move beyond that after being consumed by it for so long, like what else, what else are we beyond that? And, and um, how do we come to terms with that uh, when that kind of twilight sets on it? And even if, you know, obviously we can continue to, to do this in our free time or, or whatever, but like not as much as we used to. Right. Right. And I think that's the, I think the level of control is the determining factor in that because you can, you know, like I kind of said with football, like I had the closure mm-hmm. that right. I, you know, I did everything that I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want to try and win a state championship there or anything like that or a conference championship. But, you know, when you think about all the athletes that went into, the indoor season of 2020 or the winter season of 2020 and their seasons just ended like that. Yeah. That's identity foreclosure. That's a part of themselves that they just had no control over, no say in, yep, you're done. Yeah. Right. It's like getting a, it's like having your third concussion, like you're done. There's no, there's no closure. There's no last goodbye. There's no last victory lap around the track. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. I didn't, I did think uh, sometimes a little bit about, you know, how that can happen with the pandemic and it's, it's so different. I mean, it can happen, like you said, with an injury or concussion, but there's so many athletes probably out there that whether they knew they weren't going to go beyond high school or college, you know, they may have known, but at least we're trying to like get that last season out of eligibility to, to close that book. And so many were probably robbed of that. Um, and, 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 and how do you move past that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I don't think there's enough of that in the NCAA system. Yeah. And I think part of that is just, they haven't, that's not in their best. I don't want to say best interest, but that's something that they haven't necessarily taken consideration to. Um, and that's something that I've been looking at in my applied project of creating a program that can necessarily help athletes kind of reduce that feeling of foreclosure or loss of identity by helping them kind of channel that identity and their social identity into other aspects of their life. Right. Yeah. And I think, man, that's something I think a lot about in um, when I'm getting into work, right? Like there's so many athletes that are probably after college, like going to be done. And how do we kind of mitigate that with them? How do we walk them through that of like, kind of, uh, be, and, and I think there's probably a lot of them that like, like, like 
they, they won't admit it, right? Like they, they may think they're going to go pro um, and continue some type of life in the sport that's not going to be there. So how do we kind of like help them live in the moment of, you know, performing and, you know, we, that's kind of part of peak performance. Part of why they're performing so great is because that's, they've given their whole selves to it. How do we continue to do that while also helping them to transition and letting them know like, Hey, you know, like you, there's, this is it for you. You know, like you've got to find out someone else to be after this season or something. It's yeah. It's reality testing. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that is fueled by just the recruiting system of the NCAA. I mean, yeah. even at a Division Three Institute, you're going to have all of these coaches that are going to say, oh, we've done X, Y, and Z. We have this great culture, this great program, even though they might have gone 0-16 in the last season. But you can, <laughs> you know, you can do something to be a part of this team. Right. And that's every, you know, that's every letter, that's every phone call that these kids get. And they're saying, yeah, I can do something. You can do something. Is it mm -hmm. going to be the thing that you, is it going to be that A goal that might not be necessarily realistic? Right. Probably not. And I think it happens probably more often than it should as someone who was a byproduct of the NCAA system. I'm not saying that I had a had a poor experience, but I just know athletes, some of the clients that I've worked with that have gone through that. And it's like, oh, you know, I, I'm glad you enjoyed running, but has this really helped you or whatever sport you're doing, but has this really helped you in the long run with your career? And if right. not, how do we take those skills from what you learned in sport and teach you how to apply them in your work life? or family life or things like that exactly yeah i think a lot of the colleges you know like the system itself definitely you know it's not in their best interest like you kind of hinted at um to foster these skills you know they want you focused on only that but uh only the sport and giving it your all um and focusing on that but um i i feel like it's kind of part of our work as mental skills trainers and being a little bit more in like the ethics end of things to get that into our work. Um, and, and we can, I mean, we see a lot of those, a lot of these skills transfer over that got them to be like peak performers, you know, they're going to transfer over. Uh, so what are ways that you found they transfer over into other areas of, of your athletes lives or even your life? Yeah. So I had this conversation with someone earlier and I think it really comes down to how you market yourself as an employee. Um, mm -hmm. You know, cause there are companies that do prefer to hire athletes over non-athletes because they are able to set goals. They are able to manage their time because they're going from, they're used to going from school to practice, to weights, to homework, to bed. Right. Yeah. And not everyone has that, you know, and, but what also, uh, the NCAA did a Gallup poll in 2020 and there, there was a 3% difference in athletes versus non-athletes who had a job six months after graduation. Hmm. And to be honest, that number kind of 
astounds me. Like I thought it would be way higher just because of the, you know, the amount that of work that athletes have to put in. Like they do have that drive, they do have that worth that work ethic, and they're able to balance themselves right. through sports and things like that. Yeah. What What was the What was the the disparity? What 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 were the numbers? If you remember roughly. Um, I think non-athletes was 30% mm-hmm. and athletes were 33. Wow. So not a huge difference. Yeah. No. I would have probably thought more. Um, I wonder if some of it comes down to the identity crisis they might experience, right? I mean, whereas someone that's going to college as a college student alone and and what do you go to college for well to prepare for your career so you know they're they're preparing just for their career alone whereas an athlete you know they're they're probably hoping to go pro right when when they're going to college probably not all of them but i'm sure the vast majority of them you know want to continue their sport afterwards so i wonder if part of that is like they just don't know where to apply or or what they even want to do sure yeah. yeah, that I didn't see that in that Gallup poll, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. an interesting point too. Yeah, I wonder. Um, what about like, hmm, what about like authenticity? You know, what what is what does that really mean to you? Authenticity. Yeah. Authenticity. Kind of like a loaded question, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> redirecting here definitely yeah. redirecting yeah um i come from so in my philosophy practice i come from very much from a acceptance and commitment training background mm-hmm. um and one of the key elements in there is engaging in your core personal values um, right. every day so to me off authenticity is being able to naturally act on those values Mm -hmm. in order to be who you really are right i know that sounds very vague but i can dig double click into that too (laughs) yeah i mean that's exactly what i was going to ask how how do you do that in your everyday life then i think the first step is just knowing what you value Mm-hmm. both as whether it's a person whether it's an athlete whether it's a mental performance consultant um and just finding opportunities to insert that value into your everyday mm-hmm. right so i think you know you can think about work ethic or perseverance for one right right what does that look like during your everyday is it like oh i got all these different things i'm just gonna bum out on the couch or am i gonna <laughs> you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps, even after having a rough night of sleeping or whatever, and I'm just going to get this stuff done. Yeah. Or trying to balance a 40-hour work week on top of trying to get a master's. That's, you know, that's living your values right there. Right. Yeah. And do you think a lot of those values have kind of kind of seeped over, right? I mean, perseverance that's a huge thing in running, right? I mean, that's the kind of key in lo- especially cross country and long distance running. So it's kind of shaped your identity and come into a value of yours. It sounds like, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And then now in living that, how do you kind of use that with the athletes that you work with or, or even in, in other things you do? I, I know you're not a full-time uh, mental skills trainer and such now. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Um, yeah. I should have added that yet. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it, you know, coming from a human centered approach, right? you can teach athletes how to be perseverant, mm-hmm. but you also have to come from that space of empathy first. Yeah. Right. And I think that's also something that you have to put on yourself where you can't just, this is something that I learned throughout that kind of that loss of identity with running, where you don't necessarily just grit every mile out one by one by one. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just shut out that little voice in your head that says, oh, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. You have to acknowledge that voice because there's some part of you that doesn't want to do it. Right. Right. And there's some part of you that doesn't want to change. And you have to acknowledge that that voice is there in order to get past it. I like to think of it almost as just coaching your inner, you know, your inner 12 year old or your inner child yeah. that doesn't know what it means to do hard things. It's saying, okay, buddy, I understand you. I understand this is hard. How are we going to get through this? Right. Instead of just shying away from it, it's trying to solve the problem instead. Yeah. And so is that, that's like the acceptance part is accepting that it's hard, right? Yeah. Accepting mm-hmm. that those thoughts are there, accepting mm-hmm. that the reality is you might be running. 12, 15 miles and doing, you know, pickups in the middle, or you might be doing a hill workout or a tempo run in the middle. But you put yourself there in that position. Right. And you can either shy away from it and say, oh, yeah, I just didn't do it that day. Or you can say, hey, I got better out of this. Like it was hard, but I, I, you know, I did better. I got better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it helps too when we kind of put that last part in there like it it's hard but you know what am I getting from it and seeing that uh, we don't always think of of that end result uh, sometimes we think there isn't one uh, and, and sometimes we have to just set a goal for it right <laughs> make one up mm-hmm. if we have to mm-hmm. you know even that, if it's just breaking it down one piece at a time yeah you know it, it is something I really am lately I've been coming back like I said it's kind of kind of timely here I've been coming back to running too you know in my wanting to set a goal and uh and for a while I noticed that you know I was getting tired or you know I, I, I'm questioning myself like oh man do I still have it you know it's just because I'm getting older that I'm slower um you know and and, and my legs hurt faster and um at that point I was just kind of doing it for fun on my lunch. And when I finally decided, well, shoot, man, if I'm going to run a marathon, I got to get my endurance up. And uh, I get to this point where, yeah, it's hurting. I'm out of breath. I'm sore. And usually it's, it's at this point, okay, I'm going to take a break. You know, maybe I'm only like a couple miles in, take a break and walk for a bit. But when I started to push myself and was like, well, no, I need, I need to be able to run longer without stopping And I set, so I would start setting goals of like, I'm going to get this far before I can stop and this far. And like one day I noticed like after a while of pushing, I'm like, okay, well, I accept that it still hurts, but I can actually get through this and it doesn't hurt as bad as I maybe thought it, it did, you know, just by setting that goal and committing to going further, all of a sudden 
it, it's like I leveled up or something. It was weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know if that really has much to do with acceptance commitments, but hey, a little bit. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, there's part of that where you're, you are setting a goal and you're saying you're kind of driving your behavior to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But I think another way of looking at it is just being curious to your potential. Yeah. Right? Exploring your potential. I think I was always very goal driven right. from, you know, from a very young age. And that's how I got into college, you know, college running and, you know, the program that I was in. But at one point, you know, goals, if you don't learn how to keep your ego in check, the goal, the ego is a very sneaky thing, mm-hmm. right? You can have the best race of your life and say, yeah, that was great, but I could have done X, Y, and Z, and it would have been so much better, even though you would have ran probably the best race of your life on that day. And that's yeah. definitely something that I've took. It takes runners a long time, and there are runners I don't that probably spend their entire careers without ever thinking about that. Of Instead yeah. of saying, I have to go run this pace, putting yourself out there at a pace that might just be a little bit out of your comfort zone and saying, hey, this hurts, but let's just see what happens. Yeah. And I personally, that's more of an anecdote where I, over a season, uh, my sophomore season of cross country, I came back from um, low iron. I had a ferritin level of six, which is pretty rough, which is pretty low. That's you know, borderline, you're stuck in the hospital for a week. Oh, wow. Uh, but that summer, I really started to dig into, you know, what was this that drove me to this point? Mm-hmm. And what drove me to burn out the, this bad that I had to go, you know, I had to go get an iron check or a blood check. And when you learn how to let go of that, that's kind of the block on the door to your potential. Right. Right. It's self-handicapping. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's so it's, it's, it's tough in, in sport to know, like find these balances of like, you know, pushing yourself too far and not enough. And like, I think a lot of that's like a wraparound approach and it, it probably comes right back down to where I like to start a lot of times with athletes is, is awareness you know, and, and trying to be aware of our thoughts, our feelings, our body in a way that we can p- learn what those limits are, push them, and then also know when to kind of throttle back, you know, it's, that's, that's all. It's, it, I mean, I feel like that's a lifelong art. I don't know, probably just because I'm still learning it myself and I feel like I always will be. Yeah. You have to learn where that governor, what speed that governor is set to stop you at. And depending on age, depending on athletic history, depending on all these different factors, you might even not even know what that is. You might just be putting the brakes on before you ever reach what that governor, what that governor is. Yeah. So what, what happened after you learned about this iron issue with you? How did you kind of move move beyond that and and how did it help you overall well that summer i went to the first thing that i did was i went to go see a hematologist Hmm. 
and I was kind of in touch with my hematologist and we got a treatment plan going. Um, but that summer is when I really also really started to dig into and see the value of mental training. Right. I picked up uh, The Champion's Mind by Jim Affenro. And mm. he's, you know, he's one of the, I like to call him the Mount Rushmore's in the field and one of the guys at the top. And, um, you know, after reading that, I started to dig into meditation more just as a way of building that awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I couldn't really run at that time, but I was trying to think of different ways that I could still stay fit right, yeah. without that same impact. So I was doing a lot of rollerblading. I was doing a lot of um, cycling. I was riding my bike probably for an hour a day. And then I'd rollerblade at night just around um, my mom's house when I was still living there in college. And, uh, mm-hmm. A little bit of yoga, just again, rebuilding that mind-body connection because Iron takes that away from you because when you can't breathe, you can't think straight. Yeah. You can't think straight. Nothing, you know, nothing functions. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Was it like a nutrition thing too? That, that was a part of it? I think it was culminating factors. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was just mileage. You know, um, there's mixed research on marcher syndrome or runner syndrome where you're essentially popping red blood vessels after you know repeated exposure to running on concrete um and if you're not refueling correctly and getting that amount of iron back in um that can be a determining factor right Hmm. yeah because i'm i'm like I'm sure there's got to be all kinds of science between, you know, among uh, longevity. I actually just uh, yesterday I was listening to podcast with uh, Malcolm Gladwell and uh, and Rich Roll, and uh, I mean these are they're both like older dudes and they're still running and just talking about longevity and and not really any of the science behind it, but but uh, but a little bit on it of like you know just kind of wraparound approach to to running and and taking care of your body as much as you can and i don't remember who but they mentioned how one one marathon runner who'd been running for forever you know his whole life had his best ever marathon in his 40s i was like wow kind of gave me a little bit of hope (laughs) yeah yeah and i think that it just comes along with intelligent training too right yeah um I graduated my undergrad with a bachelor's in ex-phys and Mm -hmm. I learned a lot there, but there's so much more in kinesiology and exercise physiology that we don't necessarily get to pick up in sports psych that we don't get to talk about. So I think that's also very crucial for us to have that toolkit on the side of just being able to talk about those things with athletes or clients. And it's definitely changed the way that I not necessarily train for running, but just how I train for life, right? I was just listening to uh, The Drive with Peter Atia, who is a neurosurgeon, or he's a surgeon um, out in California. And he has, I don't remember what they were talking about. They were talking about backcasting, where you're talking about, you're, you're kind of planning your training by starting at 100. Right and then working your way backwards. So when you're a hundred years old, what do you want to be able to do? When you're 90 years old, what do you want to be able to do? When you're 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 
Hmm. You know, all these different things, all these different functional things in your life. Like yeah. I want to be able to roll around on the floor without any back pain while I'm playing with my kids. I don't right. have any kids, but again, back casting. Right. I want to be able to go on a bike ride or a walk with my significant other to, you know, without having to stop for shortness of breath. All these different yeah. things. Wow. That, I mean, that's a pretty good way of looking at it. I mean, so, so many people are like, well, I'm fine now. You know, it's kind of hard to think about the future. Um, and, and especially I think with some of the athletes that might be in college or such, I mean, some of them pro- legit don't even care <laughs> about, about it because it's like, Hey, it's now or never for me. Uh, I wonder if kind of doing a backtracking with them might, might provide some value. I think it's good information for them. Yeah. But I also think they're young enough that they can kind of just <laughs> do, you know, you're invincible. Like I'm 24. I don't feel the same that I did when I was, you know, 21, when I was running 70 miles a week and I could still squat over 200 pounds on top of that. Um, yeah. I'm not that same person anymore. So I've even, you know, I even have to start looking at it differently. How I exercise. Yeah. But how much of that is in our mind? I don't know. I still, I mean, I think for sure there's like the mileage, like, like you mentioned, but uh, I wonder if I I feel like age still is such a, such a thing that it's like, can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and I try not to get in that mindset either, but me, I'm 32 now. And I'm like, Oh man, you know, I feel, I feel this, but how much of it is just like, you know, cause I, I did have a few years where I just wasn't taking care of my body, you know, <laughs> now mm-hmm. I'm starting to again. So I'm like, can I get back to where I was, you know, I was at, I was at my best physical shape in my mid twenties, you know, so, so I was doing well at that point and then just kind of fell off. So hmm, I, I question it to a, to an extent. I, I think there's some irreparable damage, but I think a lot of it's still a number, but what do I know? <laughs> For sure. For sure. And I, I mean, it is also self handicapping yourself, but it's also a changing goals, right? Yeah. I have the short-term goal of, I want to run a half marathon and, you know, X minutes X, you know, trying to do the whole sparkle thing, but it's more of like, I want to be able to, you know, walk independently. I want to be able to, you know, be able to go, just explore, live life with my family you yeah. know, later down the road. And, you know, some of the training that I did in my early twenties, I can't necessarily, I don't do that anymore just because right. of, you know, just because of the damage that it does. And it, I don't have, it doesn't have the same effect on my body as it did three, four right. years ago. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, in that regards, because some of that is going to have short-term positive results, but yeah damage you for <laughs> if you do a lot you know i mean if what is what is squatting a buttload of weights due to your knees in the long term or deadlifting i mean you know um maybe go less for longevity when we're backtracking like that might be a good idea what oh uh, now i forgot no it's gone forever <laughs> well um 
I think that's a big part um, of, of what I had so far. One, one thing I was going to, uh, I'm still kind of getting this segment out of kind of how I wanted to do it. So I had like, like a grab bag of mental skills activities to try out with people, but because you're here also mental skills trainer, what's one of your favorite little grab bag activities that you like to do with your athletes? <laughs> yeah. So I think one that I've recently been picking up on more is diffusion, mm. which is a which is a skill in or technique in act. Um, where you're essentially developing this mental distance from your uh, from your thoughts, right? This is the acceptance piece and the acceptance and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways of using diffusion that I like to use I picked up from the happiness trap by Russ Harris is the silly voice technique so I want you to take some of those thoughts that you're just talking about one of those thoughts from um, you personally with running whether it's a self-judgment or self-criticism or negative thought and just really believe it for about 10 seconds. Okay. All right. Say it in your head. All right. Should I say it out loud? No. <laughs> you can say it afterwards. You can say it Okay. Afterwards. Good. Okay. Once good. We're done, once we're done, this is a four-step process. Oh, I like it. Okay. And now I want you to, after you've said it in your head, I mm-hmm. want you to say that same line but pick a character's voice that is either really high pitched or really low or just really funny. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I can already picture it. It's pretty funny. So what happened to that thought? It, now it just sounds ridiculous. Right. It's silly, yeah. right? Yeah, All these yeah. thoughts are these voice that internal dialogue that we have in the back of our head is just words. And if yeah. we put a different filter on it, it doesn't hold the same amount of weight. Yeah. Now say that, go back to your original voice, mm-hmm. say it again in your head. Does it have the same weight as it did before? <laughs> no now i can't no. now i can't not hear it it was a uh, courage the cowardly dog you know you might be too young for that one from cartoon oh, network courage. yeah i remember courage. oh good good yeah yeah so that's that's who the voice is now <laughs> it's the funniest one i could think of yeah and it was yeah. like uh yeah yeah I, it was like your knees ain't what they used to be and i ain't gonna try to say it in his voice right now but i have it in my head <laughs> I usually like to use SpongeBob. Oh, that's a good one. I always add the little uh, laugh that he has at the end. <laughs> and I think about the actor that played SpongeBob's voice and how he would always tap his Adam's apple when he was laughing. Ah, I did not know that. That's how you get that. Yeah. <laughs> so do you see do you see the actor doing that or do you see SpongeBob doing it? I see the I see the actor doing it, mm. but with SpongeBob voice, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but the point is, this is a way of building that mental space because right. you are not your thoughts. Your actions aren't driven by your thoughts. They can be mm-hmm. influenced, but 
you know, this isn't a if A then B statement here. Mm -hmm. um, and what it's really doing is it's building that space to not necessarily act on your thoughts, but say, hey, I'm having this thought. Yeah. What am I going to do with it? Right. Mm -hmm. Am I going to own it or is it going to own me? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like, I, I, I never thought of that. I'm really big on reframing, but I'm like, you know, putting it in a positive light. And recently I was kind of thinking, well, you know, what if they can't put it positively? You know, not everybody has the same positive, like I'm kind of positive to a fault sometimes. So I like this way because it's like, it's not, it doesn't make it a positive thing. It's just like, Hey, it's a funny, now it's a funny thought that we don't necessarily take seriously. <laughs> yeah. One of the key, you know, features of act is that, you know, you're really thinking about if these thoughts that are in the stream of thoughts are running through your head are helpful or not. Yeah. And, you know, in the book they were talking about, or Russ Harris was talking about, hypothetically, you had a patient with cancer, terminal cancer, who was trying to, who was, you know, going through diffusion and saying, oh, this isn't really helping. The whole yeah. point of it is, this isn't, you know, this isn't going to treat your anxiety or anything like that. The whole point of it is learning how to accept that you're having these thoughts and building space against them. Right. Right. And just thinking, is this thought helping me or not helping me right now yes yeah i like to call it is it uh adaptive or maladaptive yeah sometimes people like that the word sticks with them one guy one guy at my gaming place always always uh uses those words now with me he loves it um but yeah that's that's such a, a great way of pitching it over now i'm uh adding that to my toolbox i'm gonna steal that from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah great um well this has been awesome uh this is this is good stuff but uh, i guess the last thing is uh you know what's next uh what's next for uh ryan in ryan's world and and not not me not the ryan talking right now <laughs> yeah so i'm at the back end of finishing my master's Mm -hmm. um, so I'll finish this quarter and then I'll take my oral exam and then hopefully I'll be done. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I'm looking at digging into, um, private consulting a little bit more. Um, nice. I haven't found any full gigs yet, but the yeah. hope is to start really starting to ramp that up this fall and see where it takes us. Great. Yeah. And what's, what's going to set you apart from the others? what's going to be your niche have you thought of that um i think my niche is that i've kind of been been around the block and i've been in quite a few different sports yeah. and i can kind of be that social chameleon that fits in with you know athletes that play football athletes that run athletes that high jump I think mm -hmm. specifically track and field and long distance runners yeah. um, are going to be a strength. I wouldn't necessarily call it my niche though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. Sounds, sounds like a plan to me. Uh, and I think you'll do well. You've got some experience that, that running stuff and, you know, 
finding the value and mental skills even before getting in, you know, you could probably be one of those. It's like, yep, I found it. Help me out out there and uh, listen to me. It'll help you too. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's good. What about any, uh, any promotion you got out there? I know you're, you're building up a website, but uh, I don't know if you're ready to shout it out or anything. I'll give you the space to do so if you want to. Yeah, it's just uh, the name of my company is Perseverance Performance. Mm-hmm. So if you just type in www.perseveranceperformance.com, yeah. it'll just be there. We're on Instagram, same thing. Facebook, same thing. Boom. There we go. Awesome. Well, inaugural episode went well. Uh, slight little technical difficulties, but nothing too crazy in here. We made it happen. And had a nice great conversation and hopefully uh the listeners will like it too yeah thanks for having me ryan uh what's your goal after all of this ah ah, thanks for asking yeah well i'm trying to get my uh company going and and mine's going to be interesting because it's it's going to have a uh it's 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 like a three-pronged company that i'm trying to get um hopefully it'll be called a hawks and co pristine performance and uh We'll have the uh, mental skills part of it. Uh, well, that's going to be one branch. And then we'll have a supra scholastic services. Another thing I might have a lot of uh, just kind of educational services. Uh, I have a tutoring background too. So, so I have a lot of that and uh, South Bay community ventures where we uh, get some entrepreneurship going and just kind of little ventures to hopefully give back to my community too. And, kind of all of that so so yeah i've got i i would be able to do any of these but i'm hoping to kind of build up a a business around all of these concepts and and have kind of like-minded individuals uh come on board um and and it would be fluid you know so more on the independent contractor line uh so that's kind of what i'm hoping for and and really the goal in that is um empowerment entrepreneurship education and uh just being our authentic selves you know that's kind of why i brought the authenticity in is like like um you know just just being finding who we are through awareness and then being that because i i think sometimes in society um doesn't really let us be our authentic selves you know so and especially companies so if i can be a company that at its core is going to let you be your authentic self i i think you know I think it's going to be a good start and, and people are going to like that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So how are you going to cultivate authenticity through a three prong approach? Yeah. Well, um, from, from that specializations, um, you know, on, on my, on my part, I think I'm passionate about all three of those things. Those are my three passions in life. Uh, so I can kind of have some input in there. I can set a vision out on kind of, what what things look like in terms of just um, being very ethical, being uh, empathetic, um, just want wanting to model uh, performance excellence on all three of these ends, so that we can empower and inspire the clients who we're interacting with to also pursue their passions. And the people that I would get are passionate about what they're doing, and so you kind of see that, and we help others find out what that passion is on their end so that they're going to run after it too. You know, like for me, that's what I'm passionate about. You know, some people it's, it's different, you know, uh, I don't know what it is. You know, everybody's got something different, 
So that'll be kind of part of that. You know, maybe the mental skills could be athletes. Maybe their passion is, is, you know, football or soccer, or maybe they're a CEO and their passion is just freaking building and running a company. Or maybe, you know, we've got people who are um, entrepreneurship. How do I start my business doing hair, um, doing, you know, whatever the heck it is. So, you know, that's what I want. I want a world where people can be themselves um, and do what they love and not be beholden to something they don't. Um, And in that, you know, helping people to start businesses instead of working for others. And, you know, so many people, I think, see a dead end and just work a job they hate forever. So let's create more jobs that people love. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at so far. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, Good question for me. You had a little little quiz in there. You snuck in. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey, well, you got anything else for me then? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Nice. Hey, great. Well, definitely we'll stay in touch. I mean, we're both in this applied project class together, so we'll be uh, in there and uh, this, this podcast will be posted in there too. We'll see if anybody listens to it in our class as well. Yeah. Yeah, right. for sure. Cool. For sure. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to uh, find our podcast Hawks and uh hawk's nest of peak performers will be on youtube uh will be on uh all kinds of podcast places we'll see where i can get this out but probably starting off we will be on anchor and hopefully other uh, podcast sites soon so thanks for listening like share subscribe uh tell your friends about it uh if you want to be a guest let me know too